Kante Robinson on. He's got it in. And there's goal of the season, Frank Murphy. Giuliano Grazioli. Oh, absolute quality. I'm sure most people would say I was mad. Welcome back to part two of the players episode of the Downhill Second Half podcast. In part one, we've chosen our favourite goalkeeper, picked a back four and selected our right winger of our ultimate underhill side. Uh, in this part, we're going to dive in straight away to concluding our decision on the central midfielders before picking the rest of the team. The only other player that I really had in my head, if you're talking about sort of objectively best centre midfielders that have played for Barnet and just what on earth was going on was when Edgar Davids turned up in the middle of the 2012-13 season. That was just a, it was just, it was just a mad moment, wasn't it? Completely ridiculous situation that was and um, unbelievable. Just very hard to get your head round what had happened there. He played in the middle with, what was the fella that had uh, played top level football as well? Um, the other centre midfielder, they both played in, in the oh, whole of John Oster. John Oster. John Oster. The Welsh Scouser. The, the tw- <laughs> Sorry? The Welsh Scouser, yeah. Was he? I thought he played for Liverpool or Everton or something like that. He played for Everton or Tram- played Tram- for Wales quite a few times as well. But, all right, fair enough. Fair, fair enough. But, the, the, but what I would say about him, those two almost played one-twos around every team they played. They, those two were streets ahead in terms of quality and, uh, and, and well, experience, I suppose you'd say, as well, at that level. I thought they were both good. But yeah, David's agreed. Ian, you had a couple... Yeah, I mean, there's just a few more honourable mentions. I think uh, Neil Bishop uh, was particularly yeah. dependable. Obviously, left slightly acrimoniously, and he he didn't like his song, did he? No, he didn't like the the team of Neil Bishops. Uh, someone who I like assuming to be listening to this podcast gained a bit of notoriety for the line "Bish don't like it." Bish don't like it. Yeah, that's right. He didn't. Or is it Bish don't like cheese either? Wasn't it? There's a whole period of things. There was a whole load of things that Bishop didn't like, according. To our learned friend, I don't know. I, I mean, I, and Neil Bishop, for me personally, I I took his departure quite badly at the time. I was quite in, quite in it all at the time, and uh, we'd done that thing where you befriend Barnet players on Facebook. We're talking quite a long time ago, just to give that context. Um, and he may have received a couple of uh, messages on his wall after we'd beaten Notts County with him playing for them, um, which he didn't respond to positively to. However, I would like to put it on record that. Uh, I, I do very much like Neil Bishop again, having bumped into him in a, a club in Nottingham on more than one occasion when he was playing for Notts County a few years later um, and, and and squaring things with him there and then. Um, him kissing me on the mouth quite a lot and uh, just just everything being fine. Yeah, I was going to say that was literally the sense of kiss and make up with Neil Bishop. <laughs> didn't, he, um, didn't he say that that Notts County game was going to be the highlight of your season and you're a little man? <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is a very interesting uh, choice of choice of words. But yeah, no, and but fair play to him. He's, again, he's gone on to do well. He's still playing the Football League now. If, if I could just... I'm, I'm, I appreciate we're, we're coming to an end on, on setting midfielders, but just three, three names to throw out. Um, Paul Wilson... Uh, one of the earlier uh, era, never, never missed a penalty. I think he might miss one or something, but a penalty expert, shall we say, Paul Wilson, um, who um, was one of the, I think, the, the players that took us up from the conference in the original, certainly a young player then, one of that squad, and then someone that stayed throughout 
a lot of the nineties and became a real hero. Had a at, testimony at against West Ham, didn't he? He had a testimony. Yeah, didn't. Did, did Canyo play Helen, all sorts? Did Helen Chamberlain scored that day? She, she was involved, as I recall, yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> she was involved. And uh, um, from, from the kickoff, I think, as well. And uh, Stevie Searle was a player who played for Barnet, good player, who then just gave up football, I think, to become a banker in London because he just said money was better for that. It's interesting in the sort of middle of his career. And then the other one, just to throw him out, was Danny Brown, who was a, a really good centre midfielder, um, got injured and never never really was the same guy after. But um, but in that first half of the season he played uh, for Barnet, was an absolutely top-class centre midfielder. Yeah, he, was, from that uh, era. he is worth a mention. I, I, I like Danny Brown, not, one, not only because he had a brilliant chant um, on the terraces, but also, uh, yeah, he was a quality player. I like the story about him as well. Before he signed for Barnet, because we paid for him forty grand, I think, from Orient, which obviously at the time was a lot of money. He'd gone up for a trial at Bolton prior to signing for Barnet, and um, had invited a load of his mates up from Bethnal Green, and they just like trashed this hotel room or something, which swiftly helped Bolton's decision on whether or not he was good enough, regardless of on the pitch, uh, his attitude off it. But yeah, I, I thought he, he he did well for us. Um, and yeah, he played for a long time afterwards, but only sort of non-league. Um, but yeah, no, when he first came on the scene, I, remember, I think he scored in that South End away three-one on a Friday night the year of the playoffs. Um, yeah, quality player. Um, right, okay, so loads of choice there for the centre mid position, um, and I, I don't think our left winger is going to really help with that. So I guess we have to kind of yeah. conclude on who our two are going to be. Well. Dean Sinclair, who we actually haven't talked about at all, uh, got two votes. I mean, I picked him because in that first half, especially of the confidence season, he just seemed to score so many goals, especially late in the game where it's a bit stretched, where he just charged through the middle, go round the keeper. In my head, every goal he went round the keeper. He did that at Old Trafford, obviously, against Tim Howard as well. Um, and, and he'd round off victories with things like that. I just thought he was... It's just exciting. He just had a burst of pace. He was energy. And it's harsh in my team that Bailey didn't make because he was arguably the better player. But I just know there's something about the energy of the presence of Sinclair that, for me, got him into my team. It was, it was With those two, it was almost like a season of two halves because Sinclair, like you say, he started very much um, on fire. And, yeah, like you said, the goals that he scored, he did always seem to round the goalkeeper. Um, the, the the goal that I really remember from that season from him was the goal that he scored at Crawley. Uh, he's we we Crawley were like newly promoted that season, uh, and they hadn't been beaten at home at that that stage. And it was a really tough game. We went there. I think it was a Tuesday night, um, and we beat we played them off the park. We would it was it was two one, but then Sinclair picked the ball up with about a minute to go, thirty yards out, and smacked it into the corner from 30 yards and he ran all the way from where he was into the crowd and the footage of that goal is just it's just it's great it just takes you right back to that moment of everyone sort of jumping on top of the whole squad because the whole squad sort of runs into the crowd as well and then Bailey he sort of he sort of floated around the starting 11 at the start of the season didn't he, he didn't really sort of um, stamp himself into the starting well, Strevens, 11 Strevens until was playing right wing for it was between that was the you had 10 players who you kind of knew who were starting and then it'd be Strevens or Bailey right wing generally in that season he was number two wasn't he as well he, he, he was actually number two, was yeah. number two but then he he, um, he scored that goal against 
uh, Dagenham and Redbridge. It was live on telly and it was before England played Wales. Yes. Uh, and that was when he sort of got himself more into the team. He scored again against York and he, he just carried on all the way through, didn't he? He was, he was a classy, classy player on his day. And he remains actually the scorer of the best goal I've ever seen live, which was the following season. We played Bristol City away in the League Cup yeah. and we smashed them. And he, the, the goal he scored that night where he dribbled past half the team, having started at the corner flag and just fainted to shoot and slotted it in the corner, just remains one of the... It, well, it is the best goal I've ever seen live. It's, it was ridiculous. That was only two weeks after Northampton away, where I think well, you've got yeah. a very, very strong case for why Bailey and Sinclair should both into him because they both scored with one nil down when the floodlights went off. And yeah. then when they came back on, it was like, I don't know, as if that linked to something to make the team play better. But Sinclair equalised. And then Bailey's goal, he just ran and ran. He's gone way too far wide to get it in. And he it somehow trickled into the bottom corner down our end in the 92nd minute or whatever. Um, and he did have a knack for scoring the odd kind of exciting late goal. Macclesfield away in the same season, James, where I think oh, you yeah. ended up on the pitch. Not not for your own choice, I hasten to add. You were pushed over the barrier in the uh, scenes that ensued following the goal. Um, and yeah, just both of them, I think, were just such exciting players. And even though I put Doolan in, I might even concede him, which it feels harsh just to allow two so such exciting as I say, I think the keywords are energy about, you know, those players, um, and the goals and stuff they offered. I think it's hard to leave either of them out really. Yeah, I I felt sure that I wasn't gonna let either of you talk me out of Mark Hughes. I I, I love Mark Hughes. I I thought he I just it was such a bad time for, for football at Barnet. They were they, they were they just were very average. And Mark Hughes, as you, you probably quite rightly explained earlier, just seemed to drag that, that team through that season. Um, and of course, um, ending with that big moment where we stayed up uh, with Martin Allen and, and Mark Hughes scored the goal at Burton. It was just... What, 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 was, what made him more likeable as well, and this isn't with all due respect, is that he probably wasn't the best player like in terms of what we've had and some of the names we've just mentioned there, but his sort of tenacity and he, he really, you could see he cared. And I think at that level, that's what you want to see. Um, and, and yeah, I totally, he totally dragged them through it. And it was a shame in some ways, it was a shame when he left when he did, because maybe the year after it might've been a bit different with a bit more bite in the midfield, uh, the year we went down. But then flip side of that is I feel like he left on almost the ultimate high of that goal. At where, where did he go? I think he slipped into non-league. I think he played for Chelmsford. I think Chelmsford. he's still playing now for Chesn. Um, or really? before football stopped, so I think he's still going. Um, but yeah, no, a top so, top player and a top man. So have we have we settled with Bailey and Sinclair? That I feel, feels I feel like, like that's the a natural conclusion. There is Bailey and Sinclair. So we're going a dome a right wing, Sinclair and Bailey in the middle. It's an exciting. It's an attacking midfield. Okay, so. Yeah, like we said, we've got a, an exciting and attacking midfield so far. So a Doma on the right, Sinclair and Bailey in the middle. There's definitely goals in this midfield. What are we going to finish it off with on the left wing? Craig, who's your number 11? I'm going to go for Darren Curry. Uh, well, I'm sure we'll come back to Wyatt, but Darren Curry for yep. me. Okay, James, what about you? Jason Punchin for me. Ooh, interesting. Um, I also, I've, that name was on my list in the in the footnotes, as it were, but... Darren Curry was also uh, my pretty clear choice for that one. 
Um, Jason Punch is definitely a good shout. Obviously, another player who went on to have a lot of success post Barnet um, and was clearly miles ahead of the rest of the team when he was there. Um, anything to add on him, James? Yeah, I mean, he's like you said, he was miles ahead on his day, wasn't he? Um, we sort of plucked him out of. He, he got released by MK Dons, I believe, and uh, then he then he then he came to us. Um, and yeah, he just the 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 influence that he could have on a game, like uh, uh, as in a match winner, he was sort of almost unrivaled in in that sort of in that regard, in the sense that he could be quiet for however long and then just score a goal that was ridiculous out of absolutely nowhere. I'm thinking. I'm thinking games like Colchester, uh, Shrewsbury away that Friday night before Christmas, where he volleyed in from 25 yards out of nowhere. Um, yeah, just it, it, I actually looked at the stats earlier on, and he's like, it, like over half of his goals were outside the box. So that sort of said that he just, he just, he just absolutely, absolutely, absolutely loved it. The free kick against Bradford, Dagenham and Redbridge hat trick. You know, he, he he had it all really. Um, and the only reason that I didn't pick Darren Curry is because I didn't see enough of him. Um, I only saw him play three games for Barnet. Um, but if you know, if I'd have been in your era, I'm quite sure that I would have gone for him. But yeah, punching. I think other than other than that, it's it's got to be punching for me. It's um, it's quite crazy to think that you could have a team that didn't include Jason Punching. Um, at the same time quite crazy to think you could have a team that didn't include Darren Curry and um and and I think the only reason Darren Curry um got in for me was that as a as a dead ball specialist as a set piece specialist and Jason Punchin also was very very good but Darren Curry just there was something effortless and glamorous about the way he played and 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 I he he really was he fitted the era of a late nineties kind of play, and, and actually similar to James, Jason Punch. Okay, so Jason Punch did go on to play in the Premier League, and he did go. On, he moved position, didn't he? He ended up as a more of a holding centre midfielder as he got a little bit towards the end of his career. Darren Curry went on to play in the Championship in his position, and I, I, am I right in saying he captained Ipswich as well? I think he was. He he, um, he was. You know. And it was always the old thing, wasn't it? Um, Darren Curry with pace would have played for England. And, and that used to be the thing. He, he wasn't the quickest. But just just a, a glamorous a glamorous footballer and an exciting footballer. Uh, yeah, yeah I think that, that the word you used there, it, I was going to sort of say the sentence that Darren Curry made Barnett glamorous. That's, for me, it was my first season going, was he was the winger then. And... Um, Still got some of the picture framed of me as mascot with him with his fancy highlights and his predators and like he he was just it was in the sort of David Beckham era he was if you like the Barnet equivalent of that um, just so exciting to watch um, you know in the, in the intro to the podcast you got the commentary from his goal at Swansea which I, I wasn't at that game I don't know if any of us were there maybe maybe you Craig. But I feel like I might as well have been because the amount of times I've seen that goal back, um, just because you know, if you want to sum up Darren Curry as a player, I think watch that clip um, of that goal. He's just, yeah, effortless, classy, glamorous, uh, just just a fantastic footballer. And um, as I agree, Punch and not being in the eleven is crazy. But he's unfortunate for me that he was he followed Curry um, and and the bar had been set where it had. Um, I feel like there's, and I reckon you've both got the same two in your 
in your list of possibles, the other two left wingers who deserve a quick mention would be uh, Richie Graham for the title winning season, 0405. Oh, I love he Richie Graham. He was love class. Richie I remember Graham. the one game against Gravesend that was mentioned earlier. We won 3 1. Um, and we were 1 0 down at half time, I think. And we didn't. he didn't score that day, but we, we were awful in the first half. And I remember that day. I've, I don't think I've ever seen something quite so. The turning point in the game was when Graham decided, right. I'm having it today. I, I, I'm going to go and take this team on. It 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 seems to just drive everyone. I think it was Sinclair, Bailey and Hatch who scored, but Graham's influence on the game was just phenomenal. He, he completely turned the tide of the whole thing. I'll tell you a funny story about Richard Graham as well. Um, it would have been probably 2011, 2012, something like that. I, um, I had tickets to see, you know, Hyde Park put on a few music festivals and I went to see... Um, various bands but the Libertines amongst amongst some of those bands who bear in mind it's 2012 um, they were kind of one of the bigger bands if you like of the, of the era that we won the, the, the league as well so Richard Graham's era and I for whatever reason lost the person I was with but found Richie Graham which is one of the most unbelievable things and it was one of those as you say you see someone you say their whole name Richie Graham you know and um, in his thick Northern Irish accent, he, you know, he stopped and chatted to me. And I, I, I said, said, I said, Richard, I, I've lost the person I'm with. Would you mind if I just stood with you for a bit? And he was like, eh, it's fine. So he had his wife or girlfriend with him as well. And she had her friend. And I just stood for probably about 20 minutes, 25 minutes, just chatting, frankly, nonsense. And as we've already said, bothering him probably for about, let's say for about 20 minutes, he shared his chips with me. Um, we, we caught up as if we were old friends. I'd never met him, but he, like really, really cool guy. Yeah. Well, cause the other one obviously was Yannick as well. Balassi, obviously who arguably out of all the ones who said had the best career after Barnet, he, you know, he did it for Everton and, uh, has played for Anderlecht in Europe, Lisbon, I think as well. Um, has become a real big name, I suppose. Who did we have him on loan from? Plymouth. 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 Yeah. Plymouth, we, 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 yeah, we, we, um, he, he was, Plucked out of obscurity again because he sort of ha- he played some quite random countries as well, didn't he? Didn't he play Malta. in uh, Malta? Before. Malta, that's it. Yeah, and he was sort of bobbing along and then sort of loaned to Barnet in League Two, and sort of that partnership that he struck with Adoma in that season sort of seemed to put him on the map a little bit, and then he got more time at Plymouth and then went on from there to to do a lot better. Yeah, him on his day as well with those two on either side. Like how that team didn't do a lot better than it did is is sometimes you just got to ask yourself questions like how did that how did we not do better than we did? It's it's really odd, isn't it? Isn't it? Because you very rarely talk about wingers wingers having a partnership, but I completely agree with you. That's exactly what it was. Those two of that time were they they, they played together as on opposite sides of the pitch. And do you remember they had a celebration um, that they would do together as well? It was I, I remember on the byline. He once did a piece of skill that I remember rewinding two or three times in the highlights because I couldn't work out what he'd done. It was one of those things that was just so... I, I, I'd like to describe it better now, but it, it was that creative, um, that tricky, if you like, that honestly, it you know, a bit like the old... You know, remember the Dennis Burkham versus Dabizaz when you have to watch that two or three times to work out exactly what he's done to get in that position. Yannick used to have those moments seemingly every other week where he'd do something and you, you couldn't really work out exactly how he'd done it. It was a real, real um, unique uh, player for sure. Yeah, right. So I think that, that brings to an end our, our midfield selection. Oh, 
Oh, you, you, you missed Fraser Toms, Ian. I, I don't know how you've done that. <laughs> it's an oversight, obviously. He's on but... my list here as well. I, I'm, I'm disgusted at myself and I'd like to apologise to Fraser for for not giving him the airtime that I've... I, I obviously felt he deserved. I even got an exclamation mark next to his name on my <laughs> list here. That's sort of how he played, <laughs> isn't it? Because in defence of Fraser Toms, I do think that first season uh, when he came yeah. in from Charleston, he was pretty good. Um, and I, I'm Amazing. not sure what happened along the way. It... it, it Probably, he probably wasn't the same player by the end, um, but certainly a, a cult hero for many. I, I genuinely, um, after that pre-season, got a shirt with 20 Toms on the back. Um, the only player who could run down the wing and either forget to stop and just run it out or trip over his own tongue. Like it was, it, the, the guy was unbelievable. And um, he, he had a really high-pitched voice as well. So from the Northwest Terrace where I used to stand, used to used to hear him screaming, oh, oh over here that kind of like that kind of thing and I'm pretty sure and this might and, and you know this might just be convenient for me to remember it like this but I'm pretty sure he um he was one of the players that got convinced he needed to take his passport for games in Wales um so yeah I that I phrase something I love phrase it was I think a good friend of ours um summed him up quite perfectly when he described one of his best moves as the no look shuffle that, 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 that to me really summed him up uh, very well um, but yeah I, I, I caught the back end of him again and uh, yeah very much cult hero status Right so we need to finalise who the left midfielder is going to be to complete the midfield four um, majority would say Curry on first selection Yeah I think I think Curry we've got to go with Curry then um, you know, obviously Punchman was my choice and like we said, it's a real shame to leave him out. And it's a real shame to leave Richard Graham out. But I suppose it's got to be Curry. Yeah, what a midfield for that is. Adoma, Sinclair, Bailey and Curry. What a thought. Um, right then, moving on, guys. So up front now then. Uh, I found this quite difficult as well to select two forwards. Um, I'll start with mine this time. I've gone for um, Grazioli, which you probably no big shock. Do you know Grazioli? And Scott McLeish were my two choices. Um, yep, yeah, Grazioli for me as well. I think that's almost almost first name on the team sheet as far as I'm concerned. Um, but then for the second striker, I, I found this quite difficult because there's a lot of sort of, again, one season wonders. Um, but I decided again, in the same sense as Jakobu, to go with Strevens for someone who was a long-serving player. Um so I've also got Gratz in my team. I think I think we'd all agree that's that's uh, he, he's got to be in there. But conscious that I was had a very short team and they weren't very like we weren't very big, very, very aerial. Uh, we didn't have a lot of aerial presence, and on the basis that I had two very good wingers uh, and a long thrower inner, I felt like I needed someone with a bit of height and, <laughs> and also someone that who could win us a lot of set pieces in and around the box. I've gone for Peter Beadle to play out front with Grazioli. <laughs> That's not what I expected the end of that sentence to be. I, I genuinely thought you were going towards Liam Hatch. I've gone I Peter Beadle. I've gone for Peter Beadle to play out with Gratz. And I love Peter Beadle, another one. Just what a what a hero, Peter Beadle. Yeah, maybe 0304 is that sort of very short spell of players because Beadle was in that 0304 team for a while with Redmile and the rest. Well, I don't, I'm not sure they played in the same team, but yeah, Beadle very much so. Remember him? Uh, 
against Forest Green. Yeah, I, I, the Forest Green one's mental. He, he scored a did he just score or get a hat trick or scored something? Two scored two two, and um, we were all chanting his name on the East Terrace when there was a throw in down that side, and he um, was uh, explaining to the defender that was marking him that that was him by showing by pointing to the name on his back. You better watch out because Beadle was about was the song, and um, was it? I remember hearing that he 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 wasn't really training with us. His, his knee was so bad at that point that he. Um, he couldn't really train. He um, just a, a he, bit of swimming. He, he came and did a bit of swimming at Firstfield, as I remember. Yeah, he was he was in the bracket. Well, he wasn't even a one season wonder, was he? He was like I think it was about half a season. He managed to he lasted, didn't he? Something like that. But then other other players that I had in that sort of bracket, who you know were here for about a season or two, um, junior ago go uh, early on, early on in my. Uh, time at Barnet, he he signed, and again a player that was in a a, a team that was almost beneath him, but a, a team of individuals almost that season because you had a lot of really good players in the O two O three squad, but they all just didn't seem to get on as a team. But a go go, I think I think twenty plus goals that season in that team, yeah, he was class for us, wasn't he? Yeah, he was really really class. Do you remember when he he? That that goal, he took the ball from the halfway line and scored. The RMI, I think it yeah, was, yeah. Quite, always lead, isn't it? But it's, it, it was really misty that day. I remember it being really misty. And from the northwest Terrace, you could barely make out. I think even in the footage after, you could barely make out him, him score the goal. How the so game finished. It was bleak. But yeah, no, he, he's worth a mention, definitely. He was someone I thought about. He was that one season, he was fantastic. Obviously, he contributed to Grax coming to the club because we sold him and got Grax as part of the deal. Um, which probably worked out well for everyone because obviously his career afterwards went went you know to really good heights playing international football and as high as the championship um, and obviously yeah, sadly no longer with us. Um, in terms of yeah, a couple of other names that were mentioned in there, John O'Flynn was definitely close for me. I thought he, of that sort of well, late-ish Underhill era, he was almost a bit of a sort of superstar that we'd lacked for a little while up front um, who you know just knew where the goal was. Uh, it had seemed before him like a long time since we were getting players who were scoring hat tricks and stuff like that, um, yeah. and he was—he was just an absolute out-and-out goal scorer. Um, uh, and I thought he was complimented very well by Paul Furlong, who I think is also worth a mention yes. for a, a fairly short stay. Um, he was forty, forty-one playing for us, um, but those two up front for a period of time were fantastic together. I thought. Well, that goal that um, Furlong scored away at Northampton. Where he just sort of helped it over the from, for the goalkeeper with his left foot in front of us again at Northampton. It just seemed to be a thing at that ground, but it was just that effortless finish into the corner from an angle that he had no right to score it from, and and we went top of the league that night. And it was yeah, Furlong's a great shout actually. What what I liked about him was his enthusiasm. Like I say, he was forty, forty-one years old, and that Northampton goal you're on about. When he scored, he's run over to the away end. He's like putting his name on his shirt. He gave a really enthusiastic interview on the um, football league show afterwards, and you almost thought at times like, "Why? Why are you so bothered, Paul? Like you've you've had your career." But um, no, he was he was quality when he came, and his attitude I thought was fantastic. And I remember that year when we stayed up on the last day against Rochdale, where we shouldn't have really been in that position. He was one of the few that you kind of wanted to make sure on the pitch invasion. You gave a quick handshake to and sort of said thanks because. Uh, yeah, just a quality player, proper, proper professional, uh, Paul Furlong. I, t- I tell you, a striker who was really, really cool, Steve Cabber. Uh, just a really cool, 
nice, like effortlessly cool, nice guy. And he, he'll always go down in memory for that four goals he scored at Burton. That that ground seemed to again, sort of like Northampton, seemed to have some really fond memories for us, didn't it? Burton's Burton's new ground. Uh, the four goals that he scored there, and the sort of the importance of those goals, and the reaction again, the celebrations behind the goal for that. I'll always remember Steve Cabber for that one with his little celebration as well. Trezor? Yeah, I thought he Trezor was very close goal, yeah. He was quality. He was quality. Um, bit of a character. Obviously, he did a bit of time inside when he was playing for Barnet. <clears throat> um, and then when he came out, we uh, we had Gainsborough away in the FA Cup and he was on the bench. And uh, I mean, that was a funny day in its own right for lots of reasons, but... When he was warming up, we had a good chat with him, as I recall, by the uh, sideline where he was saying, nah, prison was all right. Like, I knew a few guys, didn't it? <laughs> but, then, but then that day, I thought that sort of showed like the two sides because he was saying all that. And then he came on and scored two goals and put us through. Um, yeah, no, I thought he, he was a quality player. And when they signed him, he was like exactly what we needed. I mean, we were really short of uh, like a big presence up front in that season. I think, you know, he scored a couple of big goals against Shrewsbury, Darlington in sort of 1-0 wins that kept us in the league in that first year back. It, it, I tell you something that I always thought was quite. So where, where did we sign him from? Dagenham, maybe. Dagenham, and he played for somewhere else as well in the lower leagues as well. I can't. He played for somewhere else, and, and I've got visions of him in in, in uh, green and yellow, but I can't oh, think Thurrock. where that was that he played. Thurrock. and I tell you a funny story there because when a lot of players sign for Barnet, one of the questions they get asked quite a lot is, is "Who do you model your game on?" And you hear, you know, like a Sam Deering, I think, said uh, someone like Zidane. That makes sense. Um, you get, you know, who does you model yourself on? Thierry Henry, Dennis, you know, whoever these people are, Eric Cantor, who these players are. And I remember Cliff Akurang signed for Barnet, and he was asked, "Who do you, who, who do people say you're like? Who do you model your game on?" And he said, "Trezor Candle." That was his answer. People, a lot of people sound like Trezor Candle. I love Cliff. I Cliff Akurang was was frankly not good enough to play at that level and you know that who am I to say it but honestly I don't think he was but the goal he scored against Rotherham is still one of my favourite favourite ever Barnet goals away at Rotherham in that 4-2 uh, win where um, who got who got sent off for diving for the diving Max hand Porter. ball on the line Max Porter fouled their Max player Porter. he was a player wasn't he and um, and uh, Cliff Akurang somehow managed to confuse the goalkeeper who dived out of the way, as I recall. And he just sort of embarrassingly or weirdly just walked the ball into the goal. It was, um, it, he looked confused. Everyone looked confused, but we were 4-2 up or 3-2 up at the time, I think maybe. But, oh, wow, that was, I love Cliff. He wasn't, yeah, I say, not a great player, but what, what a guy. Yeah, um, well, I say, I, I'd put McLeish as my first choice and obviously... He, he had two spells thus he came back on loan briefly. He was another one for me who was um in that in that initial era of players you just kinda of quickly fall in love with. I thought he was great. I remember him scoring a late goal once against Shrewsbury and he turned his shirt round. Uh, so McLeish was on the front, which at you know, the age of ten or eleven I thought was pretty wacky, uh and, and made him even more of a hero. Um I, I- with with McLeish, I so similar to you would have been sort of in that era eight nine ten eleven when he played for us and uh, every game I used to walk down asking for his uh, autograph wherever I was I, I, and you know the thing is you ask these players for their autograph you don't actually want their autograph you want to talk to them you want to be part of it you want to be amongst it that's what it really is and I remember one game you went to me oh it's you again and I thought 
what is it about my big glasses and blonde bowl haircut that meant him that meant he recognised <laughs> me from last week? No, honestly, it was it, it, every week he's going asking for his autograph. I loved him. Another player I had on the one season or two season wonder list was Eyes on McLeod. Yeah, I mean he's definitely a very good player. Um, he's he's he was in he was in my sort of maybe pile, um, much the same as the others. Really, he sort of did it for. A couple of seasons, sort of had a had a real purple patch for us, and again was instrumental in keeping us up. I guess in, in some of, some of the goals that he scored in the end. You know how Mark Arbour is controversial as a centre back because of the means by which he departed. I know where this is going. Does Tony Cotty get a shout? I mean, Edgar David's got a shout. Does Tony Cotty? I mean, I know. I under, as a player. He, I mean, he, so he, he, he holds the record of playing in all four or five divisions. Is yeah, it, is in it, one season. Did he, did he play in the conference as well? I can't remember how many. Was it was all the top four. Was it the top four divisions? All, all in um, in one season. Frankly, was not far off Premier League standard when he signed for Barnet. Really, maybe maybe at that point a Championship player, but but an established one. And he he was superb for Barnet as a player, um, but uh, perhaps not. Uh, as accomplished a manager. Okay, right then. So we need to come to an agreement. So who's who's your person to play up front with Gratz? Uh, James first. Um, just purely on the basis of timings, I'm going to go for Strevens. But on the basis of the chat that we've had, I'm happy to be overruled if need be. Yeah, Craig, who are you deciding on? Look, I, I'm gutted that we're going to lose Peter Beadle. But if it's uh, if it's not if it's not that the system has to work, it's it's the players that we we loved playing for Barnet then. Um, I can't think of a better partner for Gratz than than Scott McLeish. Yeah, I mean, it, it, say it's favourite team. We never said it was the best, um, and the little and little combination up front would be interesting. But I'm certainly uh, going with McLeish as well. Two two Underhill heroes there of mine certainly uh, as the front two. So I think, chaps, we've got our our starting eleven. Do you know what they're missing? Go on. A manager. Ah, uh, yes, very much so. Yeah, this I feel like this could be another whole uh, whole episode in itself. But uh, well, let's see then if we can come up with who we'd like to to manage this assortment of players from different eras. Um, there's obviously a few contenders. I think we should probably sort of caveat it now that Barry Fry is kind of pre where we're talking, so he's not going to be in the running for this team. I totally, I think we all acknowledge what a Barnet legend yeah. he is, but he probably doesn't quite. Would he know how to manage these players? We know the personality, so I think we've got to be in line with the kind of era we're talking about um Craig who's kind of coming to your mind as the gaffer Martin Allen I can't I've tried so hard and I've thought about it to think of how we could who else there could be that rivals it but the but but on each individual occasion that Martin Allen was there um at Barnet um every time against the odds it it, for me it recaptured the magic um and I um Part of that is is an age thing and an era thing for me. Of course, it, it was probably right in the sweet spot of of me going to Barnet and enjoying it and making friends like you know you, you guys. But um, somehow, Martin Allen always always um, captures it. And if I had to put, um, if I had to choose a Martin Allen because let's work on them being different ones. And on on uh, each time he came back, I'm going to go for the um, the first time he came back. Um, when he only stayed for three games and, and left again. But there was something nonchalant about the way he was. There was something calm and chilled and it didn't matter, but don't worry, it's all going to be okay. And I 
I just, I, I think that Martin Allen would be a fan, just fantastic man. You wouldn't get one like that now, but um, I know that might not be a popular choice, but I'm going, I'm going there. Okay, um, interesting. James, where are you, where are you, who are you going for? Yeah, it, it's very hard to get past Martin Allen for me as well. I mean, there's there are there, there's one other worthy candidate for me in in Fairclough, obviously for the for the title winning season. But I think all told, um, for what Martin Allen did. Uh, and if we're talking about different Martin Allens, as, as as Craig put it, I think the first Martin Allen uh, era. I mean, you can talk for we could talk for hours about how it ended and how it felt when when it ended. But the way that he picked up that team and that squad at the back end of the o two o three season, when it was him assisting Peter Shreves and completely sort of turned the club on its head and made it a lot of fun to go and watch Barnet almost sort of straight off the bat. Um, yeah, you can talk about all of his sort of unorthodox training methods and everything else, but what he did to the fan base got us believing, got us sort of uh, really bought into his sort of brand of uh, management. Um, you know, it almost like you, you, you sort of wanted to excuse the style of football or whatever the style of football was because you, you were just so caught up in the sort of the... Uh, not circus, but the, the the show of what Martin Allen was. I mean, when he walked out at Yeovil in that bloody red blazer, you know, conducting with, with a, uh, and he was thinking about a song. He he posted a song in the week beforehand for everyone to listen to and everything else. It was, it was bizarre. But that sort of thing was like when that guy was on your side. It was, you know, that's it. I mean, I know you you're sort of hanging off every word he said, especially as a sixteen, seventeen year old kid. Um, so yeah, for me, the first Martin Allen, I think, has to be the one for me. It's a it's a clean sweep for Martin Allen because, uh, and I and I think James, I'd go the same era as you. I, I do totally get what you're saying, Craig, about that second spell because it was so unlikely that we were going to stay up that year. I think those were his own words after his first match, um, and it was very short lived. And again, it was it was a different sort of pain when he left. It was an anger rather than a. I think the first time it was like being dumped or something. We were all kind of heartbroken. Um, and I think that, but that speaks volumes for how much it all meant. Um, and again, yeah, obviously eras and life at the time probably, probably plays a part in why you choose um, the first one, because obviously you can't really argue, certainly in our, in our time of going regularly, Paul Fairclough was more successful in terms of obviously the, the league winning side in that year was unbelievable. Um but I just think, yeah, Martin Allen for for that that turning point in two thousand and three, where you know he picked up the squad, but he picked up the whole club. It was you know we got it had gone so stale. I think his first, the match before he came in, we played Southport at home midweek, and there were about seven hundred people at Underhill. We won, and then Shrews resigned in the morning. I think after that, or maybe maybe just before the game. I can't remember what it was, but it really felt like God. This is this is only going one way, and it was at such a huge turnaround in such a short space of time. And yeah, any one of those ridiculous things that he did in that time to kind of generate publicity, to get people on side, um, it, it really did feel quite special kind of being part of it. And I, it was great when he came back. I felt we were sort of wise to it. So you, I feel like, yeah, like Craig said, he had that kind of more, almost slightly more chilled out aura around him. Still a little bit, you know, off the wall, but different. But you were all kind of a bit more, well, all right, yeah, let's see where this goes because we're not going to pin our hopes to him too much or kind of expect any sort of longevity let's just enjoy it for what it is and I think looking at the lineup we've got there and the kind of madness that 
trying to get that team to work would be there's only one man for the job um, who who I feel he'd get the best out of a McLeish and Gratch front two. And it, he he had and has this kind of um, this this um, this man management style that I think isn't even bespoke to football. It's um, he he knows how to um, get to make players feel and believe that they can do things that they didn't they wouldn't otherwise think they could do he, you you um you 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 watch the the kind of confidence those players have when when they play for him um and he just brings everyone on in in that, in that same place it's exciting um it's motivating um yeah i just it um every, every moment of it and you know when he comes out after that chesterfield game after that first game and and he says, you know, I haven't seen half of these play, uh, but well, they did all right, didn't they? Kind of thing. And you kind of, it's, he, he, he manages dumb it, he manages to dumb it down in such a way that you, that it's still amazing. Like it's, um, it's, uh, it's hard, it's, it's understated yet, yet fantastic. Um, I, f- I feel like as well, you, in the times where he's been the manager, it almost, you say, he brings everyone together. You, you very rarely see people kind of singling out players or you or feeling that players aren't giving it their all. There is that kind of honesty, perhaps, the performances he generates. And I think if you think back to that first team that he built, there were definitely a few players in there who maybe weren't at the same standard as the, you know the top players in the side. But I don't remember it, there really been any kind of um, discontent about selection of certain people or whatever else or anyone getting on their back. It was very much kind of like... We're in this together. He's built this team, this kind of feeling of togetherness. To get togetherness, and just to add very quickly, you you know that you don't have to get on the backs of the players because there's a guy in that dressing room that if they don't give their best, he's going to do that for you. I, I think that extends a little bit to our captain Ian Hendon. Um, very hard to have a go at players or single out players for weak performances whilst Ian Hendon was captain, largely because you felt that there was a guy that was on your side doing that already, and I, there's that's. That make that makes it enjoyable. That, make, that makes it easier to get behind it. It felt like the only time, um, with the exception of the 0405 title winning season, where everybody at the club was pulling in the same direction. So the things that you described about that sort of unity, both on the pitch, it was certainly felt off the pitch. Um, like there was no, yeah, like that discontent you spoke about. There, there was barely any of it. Like even when we started going through uh, challenging periods in that season, everyone sort of. Uh, sort of stayed behind the team. There was never any sort of booing or anything like that. Um, and when you compare that to sort of seven, eight, nine years later, when we were coming to the back end of our tenure at Underhill, you know, when you think about the the two sort of contrasting, even a year before, even a year before Alan came in, the contrasting position of what the crowd was like and everything, um, you couldn't get two more polar opposites, really, could you? If if you if you look just if you look at the very best managers um in football all of them understand the importance of bringing the club together a club together not not the 11 on the pitch not the chairman or the shareholder or the whatever people that understand that you are most successful when you're all together and if you actually look at Martin Allen's first season it wasn't the best football ever um they weren't the best points tally ever um it it it, it was it was good it was, you know, but it wasn't amazing. Paul Fairclough clearly w- w- um, did got got much better results over his season um, in in the, in the conference than than Alan had the year before. But in terms of excitement, as you say, that coming together, just I don't know, there's something nice about being part of something, and he made you feel part of it. 
Yeah, no, no, I was just gonna add that the uh, that kind of feat, the thing after after away games in particular where they've got a result. I just remember that that real shift in that you know if we've got a result, even if it's a good draw away from home, the whole squad are over right by the away away end. Obviously, that's when you're we were all going a lot, and it was just yeah that kind of feeling of like they're on our side, we're on their side. That kind of you know even if we're getting beaten and stuff like James was saying, we were there was no having a go at the players. They'd get applauded. He'd come out. There was. That thing as well. I think even in the later years, uh, you know, we were going underhill. You'd go to certain matches and like you see a lot at the higher level, players kind of trotting off the pitch at full time without even acknowledging the away support in particular. That was something that really irks me. Um, you know, you see it on telly now, but it started to creep in, I think, even at that level. Um, but like I said, it was just that that honesty, that kind of honesty and togetherness was, yeah, massive. So I think it's uh, an, easy, an easy choice probably from our points of view, if you're thinking about our eras, to select him as a manager. If if we can, if we talk about managers though, I, you know, to, to I guess for completeness, um, you've already said that Barry Fry is uh, excluded. So Barry Fry, or I suppose, would have been Eddie Steen, who had the high, I think responsible for the highest league finish ever of, for Barnet. I think I think it's Eddie Steen. I think Fry left and Steen was there. I'm not sure if Steen went as well. It's it's a bit before this period, but so but in in the period we're discussing, John still actually responsible for the highest uh, league finish. I think for Barnet um, at two playoffs. Um, and uh, so I, he, he's got to get a shout. Ray Clements, I think, just about creeps into our era as well. Um, what what an unbelievable thing that would have been um, to be around. Ray Clements, manager of Barnet, obviously a, an England legend, Liverpool legend, um, big, very big name and, and brought through our goalkeeper. So Lee Harrison signed under Ray Clements uh, and he also had Mike Taylor. So um got to be worth a shout there and, and, and I have to pay credit to Paul Fairclough, I think we all do, but um so you are you are you are you telling me that the first Allen, that's the the Allen yeah, we're going we're, for, we're, the we're best of all the Allens. Two thousand and three Martin Allen. Uh yeah, he's in. Great. So so we've got the four four two team, got the manager. Um just to quickly conclude, I think we need three subs uh to choose from. I am going to say there's a player we haven't mentioned in all of this who I've had on my list um, written down as a sub just to come on and make the kind of impact that he did once. He'd actually started that game. I looked it up earlier, but it felt like he'd come off the bench. And that is a Mr. Jason Norville, um, who <laughs> had a pretty yes. unremarkable Barnet career, but did score the winner um, away at Chesterfield in 2007 at one of, if not the finest ever away day out, which I'm sure we'll talk about in more depth another time. I feel like he he's... Just for that one moment, he's got himself placed on my subs bench. Anyway, I mean, it's, it's hard to it's hard to argue that given we could talk all day about that that particular away game and the fact that he scored that goal in front of us. It was actually quite a good goal to score. Like he, he had to do all sorts to get that ball in. But yeah, it's it's, it's certainly a um, cult hero from our perspective based on that game. I, I've got to have a shout for Jude Barrington. Sterling. Yes, he, I, I, well, I just. Before before we started, I had hit. I've literally, I'll show you my list on the camera. I've got Sterling and Norville written as subs from the start, just just to give us something different, options from the bench. And given given that he's given that Jude Sterling is very much sorry, Jude Barrington Sterling is very much a Martin Allen player. Then, if we're having Martin Allen two thousand and three, Martin Allen as our manager, then it feels like his his place on the bench is. I believe cemented. Martin Allen is godfather to one of his kids. I don't know if I've heard that wrong. I'm going to put it out there and hope it's true. Um, but I've heard something along those lines. If there's one player out of... So, of, of everything we've discussed, if there's 
one player who I think is hugely unfortunate to miss out because of their quality and ability. Um, and just and and you know, Jason Punchin, um, for me would get on the bench. Not maybe not as a cult hero of Barnet and and anything like that, but as a guy who just out of all the things we discussed, felt the most unlucky not to make it. I could see him making up our, our sub-bench of three. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm happy to go punching to complete that. So, to recap on our final selection of our ultimate Underhill team, in goal we chose Lee Harrison. At right-back, we picked Ian Hendon as captain. In the centre defence, Chris Plummer was partnered by Clovis Camjo. And at left-back, completing the back four is Simon King. On the right wing was Albert Adoma, a midfield duo in the centre of Nicky Bailey and Dean Sinclair, with Darren Curry playing out wide on the left. Up front, Scott McLeish and Giuliano Grazioli. On the subs bench, Jason Norville, Jude Barrington-Sterling and Jason Punchin. And this team of heroes are managed by Martin Allen of the 2003-2004 era. Happy with that, chaps? Very happy. Over the moon, in fact. I think that, that team's going places. Yeah, I, um, I somehow feels like an unusual assortment of players, but at the same time, yeah, love them. You know, love them all. Yeah, it's going to work. It's going to work. Um, all right, then. Well, cheers for listening again. Uh, we're very excited to tell you that next time out, we've got a special guest lined up for episode three. Um, their name may have been mentioned a couple of times in this episode Uh, we'll keep it at that for now so I hope you can join us then and thanks very much for listening going to take Robinson on and there's goal of the season Frank Murphy Giuliano Grazioli oh absolute quality I'm sure most people would say I was mad it's time Graham Black and David lovely stuff from Curry not a bad try